You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And today is Wednesday. That means we are going to be taking your best questions and talking Oregon Duck football, Oregon Duck football recruiting, everything in between. And before we do that, I want to remind you, you can join our Oregon Duck community on duckterritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month, $9.95 there after that. Inside access to people like Eric Scopel, Kevin Wade, myself, uh, Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, Steve Wiltfong, our national regional recruiting teams, national regional uh, team coverage teams. We've got a huge network on 24-7 Sports. You get to read every website within our network, and you can join for as low as $1 and join a great Oregon Duck community. All right, six questions. We've got a wide range of topics. Let's get these going. First one is the only one from social media. The rest of these come from our Duck Territory message board. This comes from JIS Koval 519 from Twitter. If there is a five-star that would be a surprise duck commit this cycle, who would it be? At this point of the year, in the past two recruiting cycles, I don't think anyone was expecting either Kayvon Thibodeau or Justin Flo to commit to Oregon. In particular, there wasn't any buzz about Flo until about two to five days prior to National Signing Day. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thank you for using the hashtag. Um, I think he's right for the most part here, too, in terms of these last two cycles, certainly not during – July, we didn't think, hey, Thibodeau and Flo, these guys are ducks. I don't even think there was really much assertion that they were that were leaning in that direction. Could we see something similar happen in this class, Matt? And, and if that's the case, who are maybe these five? And we should say really quickly, Troy Franklin is a five-star. Oregon already has a five-star in this class. But if they're to get a second five-star who maybe we aren't expecting, who would it be? And, and, and is that a scenario you could actually see coming together? Um, do we consider Corey Foreman or JT Tuamalo a surprise. Like, would that? Would I think, that I think, yeah, I think they do. Um, so I, I would say those two. That those would be the two names that I would throw out today and say these are the names that are five star recruits that aren't committed to Oregon because, like you said, Oregon does have Troy Franklin already. Um, I, I would put my money on if Oregon was to add a second one right now it would come from one of those two players. And they just happen to be the number one and the number two players in the country, regardless of position. Um, and they both are defensive players, and they're both defensive ends. So I would, I would say one of those two players, um, maybe, we, maybe we see a guy that Oregon's recruiting elevate himself and become a, 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 from a four to a five-star. Um, but I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing that happen um, considering Troy Franklin's already bumped himself up from four to five, uh, and we don't know if high school football is going to be ple- going to be played or not, so I would I would long answer I guess is I I would pick J T Tuamalu or Corey Foreman as a five star player that's somewhat of a surprise to land at Oregon. I was going to say I think the similarity between like let's take Foreman because it's probably more similar he's similar in terms of regional uh than to Amalo is to what happened the last two cycles but it would be similar where you have the top kid out of SoCal 
who Oregon is in on. Like it's either Oregon's a, Oregon was a player for both of these recruits. And that needs to be said too. Like maybe not as much of a player where they were like the forefront and had all the crystal balls during the month of June, you know, July or August, but Oregon were players for Thibodeau and float just like their players for uh, both Foreman and Tuamalo. Uh, it's just that I don't think anybody really expected them to pick Oregon until later on in the process. And I think maybe that could be the similarity and maybe we're going to see that narrative kind of that storyline come together a third time um, with a guy like Foreman, obviously that'd be extremely exciting. And um, I know I've discussed in the past, but think about having potentially four out of your seven uh, front seven starters being former five-star recruits. That's something certainly Oregon um, (laughs) has has never had before. (laughs) So um, the talent up front could be crazy if something like that comes together. I'm with Matt, though. I, I think it's probably one of those two guys, and if it's not one of them, it, it probably doesn't happen. Um, second question, from, this is from the message board from Abba Freight. What is the best and worst case national and Pac-12 ranking for the 2021 football recruiting class? Um, and we should say at the time of this recording, Oregon is sixth nationally and second in the Pac-12. Um, not a bad place to be. And uh, I think... I mean, let's start best case, Matt. Uh, I mean, best case in the Pac-12 is clearly their, their first. Yes. <laughs> There's no yes. other option there. Um, and, and they're very, very close to accomplishing that. And we've talked about best case nationally, I think, a couple of times. Where, where, where do you stand there? What do you think it is? Is it top five? Obviously, I think they're in the top. They're close there right now. But right. does it seem sustainable? I, th- I think to get them to number one, you need to sign another five. You need to, you need to sign two or more five-star recruits. Mm-hmm. And can Oregon get to that? And that kind of goes back to our first question. If they're going to add another five-star, who's it going to be? Your best chance is, is to get Foreman or Tuamalu. Um, I, I think is that, is that likely? I don't know. So I, I'm not going to say I, – I, best-case scenario theoretically is first. They're going to be in play for that. But my concern for that is are they going to sign enough bodies to count towards – uh, the, the the final number, and then are they going to get enough five star recruits to be in contention for that as well? Um, and by when I reference, are they going to sign enough guys? I don't expect Oregon to sign a full class of twenty five. So what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to lo- load up on quality over quantity because a lot of schools are going to fi- are going to sign twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight scholarship players, and can Oregon make up for the lack of signing 25 or 24 or 26 or 27 players and the score that, that gets inflated because of that by not signing as many three-star guys, is that going to be a, a sustainable endeavor for Oregon? Um, are there, are they involved in, are they in a position where they're leading or a serious player for that many four-star recruits or five-star recruits? I, I think, I don't think they finish with a top class in the country. I do think they finished with their best class in school history. I think it'll probably be right around where they're at right now. Four, five, six, seven, or eight. I think that kind of that sliding scale right there is kind of where I see this class finishing. Now, best case, who cares how realistic this is? They could end up with the number one class. I mean, let's just assume that they signed the, the number one, the number two players in the country. Um, they, that helps in a big way. That gives them three five-star recruits. Let's assume they sign Kingsley Suamatia. They sign Bryce Foster. They add Jonathan Flo, Justin Flo's younger brother. 
they add, like I see here, right, they add um, a, a, maybe Xavier Worthy, they, you know, a couple other pieces here and there, Keanu Williams. And all these guys that I'm mentioning are, are four or five-star recruits. All okay. these players come to Oregon. Then, yes, I could see number one coming into play. But is a perfect scenario for Oregon going to play out? Probably not. The other issue you have to be wary of is that Ohio State is putting together a potentially historically great class. They have 18 commitments, and they already almost have 300 points on the composite team rankings. And for those not aware, like 300 points is like a lock to be top yes. two or three for, for a final class. They have 18 commitments, four are five stars, 11 are four stars. I think Ohio State's going to be really hard uh, to knock off that top spot. I mean, they have a chance here. If they take 25 and they continue at a similar average – this class could be the best since 24 seven has been doing these composite rankings. Um, this could be like a 330 point class or something. I don't know. Um, so that gets in the way in terms of the worst case. Um, I was just using this as a baseline Oregon currently has about 245 of those points. If you just put that into last year's recruiting cycle. And of course oh, this is pretty impressive. It, it, they would be 20th in last year's entire recruiting class with just 15 verbal commitments. That's um, how good that they're doing right now in terms of, their uh, quality over quantity. Yeah. So like the baseline here is like, I guess better than 20 because I mean, they're going to land more than they're not going to just sign these 15 guys. Um, and so I think the baseline, like the worst case scenario is probably like maybe, maybe it's 15, you know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they only get, maybe they only land three more guys that are four stars and, and there's a couple of decommitments. Maybe, maybe it's 15th, but I don't think it's much further than that. And then in terms of, a Pac-12 ranking, obviously, best case is, is first place, and I think that's very attainable. Worst case is, is, like, maybe third, and that's only if we assume Washington is able to land some of these five-star and high four-star recruits in their own state, but that's not really the way it looks like it's headed um, for the Huskies. So, I, I mean, I really think the worst case is probably second, honestly. I mean, do you, do you Matt, can you really drum up a scenario where Washington were to jump Oregon? I mean, they no. have to. They'd have no. to land a lot of these guys. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to see a huge shift in what's going on right now, where things are trending. I mean, they're, they're in a unique position where they had three five-star recruits in their own state beginning of this cycle, and they're right now trending to land one. And all three of them are basically in and around the, the premise of the Washington Huskies' shadow. You know, they've, they've grown up around this program and they're only going to get one of those three players. And right now, both Emeka uh, Ibuka and the five-star JT Tuamalu, um, both those guys are five-stars, both of them leaning probably towards Ohio State. So it's not only are they going out right. of the state, they're not even staying in the Pac-12. So from an Oregon perspective, that's ideal. Like if you're not going to get these guys, because Oregon wants both, but if they're not going to get either of them, you want them to see them leave the conference because you don't have to deal with them on a, on a yearly basis. Um, ironically enough, you have to play Ohio State the next year, but when they're true <laughs> freshmen, but it's only one year. Um, but I, I, I don't see a scenario playing out where Oregon uh, gets passed over by UW. It, it would take like a bunch of decommitments, coaching change at Oregon, you know, program just kind of falling apart essentially. And then I'll, see how that's even reasonable to, to project. And you just mentioned how these two kids out of the Seattle area might end up at Ohio State. Man, this Buckeye class, I was talking about a second ago where it might be historically, if they end up landing those two along with probably 
assuming three or four more high four-star, five-star caliber guys, Buckeyes could have an unbelievable recruiting class. And, and again, you, Matt mentioned it, Oregon might be, would likely be facing that recruiting class. I shouldn't say would likely, would be facing that recruiting class uh, the following year uh, with the return game. So that'd be, that'd be pretty, pretty fun to watch some of those highly regarded players uh, taking part. Third question comes from Lucid Nomad. When a new position coach comes in, how do they pitch it to new recruits? For example, Ferguson is planning to commit, probably already committed when you record this podcast, which by the way, he has, <laughs> but, the, but the OC is new. Do they show Oregon film of, or, or do they show Oregon film or do they show Port, uh, Penn State, Mississippi State film for Moorhead's last stops to show how he will use the tight ends? I think that's a good question. Um, and Moorhead has already said that they have gone through the cut-ups of everything from both last year and the year before his offense under Marcus Arroyo and the offenses that he had run at Penn State and Mississippi State. So they've already gone through that process. That stuff's already been worked through. And, and my, my guess is they're showing both. Um, I'm sure they're wanting to kind of give an idea of what it is Moorhead is doing because there isn't those examples at Oregon. Um, and you look through what he did at Penn State and Mississippi State, and I think that's probably was an attractive thing for Ferguson. I know he mentioned liking the way that uh, Joe Moorhead utilized his tight ends in his offenses at previous stops. It was something that, that Ferguson noted, it was the, fact, the fact that Moorhead was an offensive coordinator that he was excited to play for. So clearly they, he has a pretty good idea of what Oregon's new offensive coordinator is trying to do, and, and I'm sure that comes from previous stuff, as well as I'm sure looking at kind of hey, this is the talent that you would be joining. These are the players that were on last year's team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I'm sure Moorhead's pitch is, is not just, here's a bunch of stuff from last year, but we're going to do it differently, not show you what it is. It, rather, it's, it's a, here's a bunch of stuff that we have done in the past. This is how I utilize tight ends. Um, can you see us? How, how could you see yourself working in this offense? We think you'd be a great fit. Yeah, that's it, – it's difficult – to envision any program to go out there and say like in a recruiting pitch, Hey, come to our school, but only referencing clips from previous stops. Like I think, I, I think there's a balance between for like a Joe Moorhead coming out and saying, Hey, you remember what we did at Penn state with my offense and, you know, Saquon Barkley did this, you know, and put up these numbers. You see all those runs, you know, we're going to, we're, we're emulating something like that. We're putting a, a, a twist on it, you know, with an Oregon twist. And by the way, you know, if, if you want to be a running back, you need to come to Oregon because look at our track record uh, as a school, whether it's myself as offensive coordinator or other coaches before me that have, you know, produced elite running backs. It's not just one system. Elite running backs can come here and, and do it all in any system. And you need, you need to be the next in line. So I, in terms of like Ferguson, there's an idea of telling him this is how we're going to be using you in terms of cut-ups from spring practice that they have. Because remember, that that's valuable. That's information they can use in recruiting. Right. It's showing what, you know, the tight end has done in the offense in spring football or, you know, highlighting the fact that of the stuff that you have – that Oregon has previously done – not necessarily under Joe Moorhead, but things that he was like, hey, yeah, we're, we're going to continue doing A, B, and C. We're not going to do D, uh, but we're going we're gonna to do these other ones too. Um, 
you can you can still take those cutups and show them to the recruits, even though you weren't the offensive coordinator. It wasn't exactly your offense, but say, look, this is how we're going to be using you. You're going to be doing this type of stuff. You're going to be doing this type of stuff, and we're implementing it into us into a new system. And this is how it's going to work. So it's kind of how that works. Um, it, it, it's certainly uh, you have to be able to relate. You have to be able to teach. You have to be able to communicate in a way that that comes across as a clean in a clean manner. Because if it doesn't, then you're just you're really in a tough spot from a recruiting perspective. All right, let's take a quick break. You are listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Perini. Eric Scopel is with me. As always, three questions in, three questions to go. These next two questions are, are questions that I think are important to ask, but I don't know how many answers we're going to have to them, but I think we should just acknowledge them. The fourth one comes from Upcountry Maui Duck. Have you heard if any players coming back are not quite in shape and maybe considering transferring? Um, we should note at the time of this recording – we are, we've heard that the players are on campus. They're here. But I don't think we've heard – they've also heard that they're not going to share any of the COVID testing. And I don't think I've been expecting to hear players being out of shape from anybody except for exterior sources. And I haven't heard anything on that. Matt, have you heard anything on that? And, and the possibility of a transfer – I know we wouldn't share that on, uh, on air here, a name. But have we heard that possibility at all? Well, I mean, I think there is – I mean, Gmani for his name has been tossed about. I'll, I'll – True. We haven't confirmed, we haven't denied that there is some rumors out there that he may not be on campus, and I'll throw that out there, um, in part because I already have. But uh, it, it hasn't been confirmed or denied, but he is someone that you're kind of tracking for right. transfer. Because um, it, it, it's kind of public knowledge for some Duck fans out there already. Um, right now, in terms of who's – not in shape? No, I, I haven't quite heard any of that yet. A lot of these guys have been able to, to train at home and, and, and train some of them in, in Eugene off campus even. Um, we've certainly heard of some guys that have transformed their bodies and, or have been able to you know, stay in shape and, and improve their skill sets uh, during this quarantine, even though they've been away from campus uh, and away from the Oregon's coaching staff. But no one to the extent of not being in shape, not being ready. I think that's going to be natural when it, when they do report to actual team 
activities, which is, will be weightlifting. Um, now, let's touch on the first part you did answer, though, of that the school isn't announcing COVID cases yeah. from an athlete perspective. They're just doing it from, right. a, from a student perspective. There's kind of, I mean, Ken Go of the University of, of the, not the University of Oregon, Ken Go of the Oregonian, uh, someone I highly respect and value his opinion. And so he, he has, he wrote about it in his issues and answers column. Um, and if Ken Go's got some concerns that I, I think that's something naturally for me, I, I immediately perked my head up of, okay, well, what's going on here? Because I, I respect Ken and I, I, I think he is a staple in our industry and our market um, and is very fair and balanced. And so if he's got some kind of concern, I think that's worthy of exploring but are you personally, I'm not there yet. I don't think this is that bad of an issue because let's just, for instance, say this. U of O announces they have 10,000 students on campus that have COVID cases, none of which are football players. Is it still safe for the football team to be playing and practicing games? 10,000 people have it? Yeah, let's just assume 10,000 people, 5,000. Let's assume 5,000 students on campus all of a sudden now have COVID-19. 5,000 students. Uh, boy, I don't think I want to be in Eugene anymore if that many people have. <laughs> so why does it matter? So then my, my counter to this is then why does it matter if it's football, if it's designated football player, if it's designated basketball player, basketball, you know, student athlete or not. If, if all they're doing is re- they're still reporting the information to the Oregon Health Authority. They're still reporting information to the Lane County Health Board. They're still reporting that students are getting COVID-19 cases, but they're just not distinguishing, hey, it's a football player, it's a basketball player. Because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter who you are. If X number of students have it, it's not safe. 100% agreement here, Matt. I, and I think the thing is, um, I, I've seen people concerned because for their own personal safety because the number of cases with these student athletes isn't made public. Well, the reality is if these student athletes do test positive for COVID, they're, well, quarant- no. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're quarantined. They are not going to be coming into contact with you. They're not going to be walking around town coughing. Um, they, they're they're going to be in lockdown for two weeks and then they're going to be tested again. And if that test it should be negative the second time, theoretically, because they had the, the time for it to get out of their system. But only upon a negative tap are they going to be re-immersed into the community and the, you know, from a athletic perspective, an academic perspective, et cetera. So, and, um, and if this happens during the season, it's going to be pretty obvious of sure, yeah, sure will be. <laughs> uh, like if the starting defensive end all of a sudden just isn't there for two weeks, we're going to know why. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's the thing where it's like, not to go too far into the COVID stuff, but like imagine a season where week to week you could have each, you know, each team's, the, the outcome of games could be really determined by three or four players. <laughs> I mean, Tyler Shuck is, let's say Oregon's playing Ohio State and Tyler Shuck and Justin Fields both somehow are, are positive tests. <laughs> it's like the whole game is completely different. So, and I think that's going to be a thing that's going to be a reality. I mean, I mean, Oregon's not releasing the test number, the positive test numbers, but other schools across the country have been, and you're seeing the numbers come out, and it's not small numbers at some of these schools. I think Boise State is shutting down its campus right now because the numbers are getting so extensive. Um, Oregon has to be careful, but I, 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 again, what Matt said earlier is important too. It's not that they're, they're just not releasing the, the case numbers. It's not that they aren't telling those in, that need to know. 
what's going on. They just aren't letting the general public know. And I don't necessarily have an issue with that. They're, not, they're just not telling the general public that a student athlete has it. They're just saying sure. that. That's important too. Yeah. All right. Fifth question. Again, similar topic here from WC Lady. When will all football players be on campus? And she also asks, what about basketball, men's and women's, softball, baseball, and any other sports? Uh, this is a kind of a hard one to be tracking right now because there's, there's so many moving pieces here. I think we can expect to have the football team in its entirety here by what, Matt, do you think? By the time they start practice, I would think. Uh, oh, so, I mean, uh, so a majority now, of them are here already. Right. right. There's a few stragglers that haven't arrived yet um, as of this recording. And we should note we're recording this a couple of days before it's published date. Yeah. I expect the last bit of all the newcomers, the, the last bit of the newcomers arrived last weekend. Um, and then they have to go through a, a, a seven day quarantine period where they, they can't be on campus. They have to be, you know, essentially quarantined and, the residents and only can leave for food and, and whatnot um, to ensure that they're, they're fine and enter the facility. And then once they pass that seven day period, they have to get retested, make sure they don't have anything. Uh, and then they can come into the facility at a time. The rest of the team is, tra is, is coming in periodically, but they also have to do the seven day period. So it's not going to be surprising if, by early July, the first week of July, all of Oregon's players are on campus and ready to go because they have to go through that seven-day period, and you don't want someone showing up three days before uh, the, the off-season off mandatory workouts can begin, and you have to go through quarantine still. So everyone's kind of coordinating their plan around they have to be back you know, late the, the, basically at, through the first week of July, there's, most of the team is here already. Now, other sports, basketball, the men's basketball team, I only, there's only two players on campus right now, Eric Williams and Will Richardson. Uh, and those two guys are here because they, quite frankly, just didn't leave when stuff happened. Uh, everybody else kind of sp spread out back home. And so the U of O announced that any athlete that stayed in, in town over the summer, over the spring, when COVID originally hit and everyone was dispersed, those athletes, along with the football team, are allowed to train and use the facility. And then moving forward, they are periodically slowly going to trickle in every other sport as they get a better grasp of how to handle this, how to, you know, how to be able to maneuver all these athletes practicing and, and training in the facility and keeping everyone safe and clean, facility clean and all of that. So, other sports, they're going to start trickling in during the month of July, but it's not going to be all at once. And some of them could be coming in the end of July, maybe even early August. I think the, the hard thing here is the timeline seems to be moving around a little bit. There's a lot of wiggle room, and that's just the reality of everything in this current world. And, and I know on the women's basketball side that they had planned on having almost everybody in town for the entire summer. And I know, I know they do have a, a larger contingent certainly in town than what Matt mentioned on the men's side, but um, the hope was that this was going to be a big summer for that. And that, that kind of gets changed a little bit. And I, I still think you're going to see, um, I need to follow up on this a little bit, but I think by the second week of July, the whole team, I know that was the plan a little bit ago. Well, should be on campus and they should be getting ready. But again, it's hard to know how all this stuff is happening because it's, it's changing almost day to day, week to week, certainly. So 
Um, stuff we'll continue to update folks on throughout the next couple of weeks. I do think certainly by the end of July, most athletes should be on campus if things are headed in the right direction. All right, sixth and final question and where we'll end the show is from Southern Duck. Every great coach has a tradition at their school. Be it that Mario's on the verge of being a top level coach, what traditions not recruiting related has he started as head coach in the face of Oregon? If he doesn't have one yet, could that question be asked of him? I sense Mario is a pretty tradition-based guy in some ways. Um, Matt, I, I don't know. Is, is there a specific tradition that you see from, from Coach Cristobal other than it's a very family atmosphere? Um, I feel like that is just a thing that comes top to bottom. I don't know from a tradition perspective, though, if, if I can think of something that really stands out. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the family – Culture aspect, I think, is one. Uh, I mean, we've heard him, right, reference, uh, like, NFL training camps, NFL, you know, practice styles, uh, uh, you, know, co you know, competition from the NFL's themes, you know, uh, uh, and employing that here, meaning, like, you know, they, they operate film rooms and, you know, they recruit at a, at a capacity of just sign best players. Who cares how many – players that are, you know, you signed the, the previous class, get the best guy you possibly can, you know, and let the cream rise to the top and, you know, make guys every week have to compete for the starting job because in the NFL, you, you could be a starter one week and then, you know, three weeks, if you're not performing, you could be off the team essentially. And while Oregon's not going to run guys off and he's even said that uh, they, they will create an atmosphere where if you're not up, you know, if you're not playing at a high level and they have someone behind you just as good, the culture within the program will present itself where, you know, the best player plays uh, and the most consistent best player plays. Uh, I, I think another one is we've heard him reference the leadership council quite a bit, right? I think that's, yep. um, I, I think that is something that's his own spin on something that every school, especially at Oregon has had, has or has had before. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with that is, I think he's also has he, has he called them squad leaders too, or is that Chip Kelly? I can't. I can't. I don't think I've heard squad leaders from Mario. Um, and so he 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 designates X number of players, typically they're seniors, upperclassmen, um, and those guys are are the players that when he needs to read the pulse of the room, you know, get a feel for you know what the team is feeling, uh, if he wanted to do something, or if there was some kind of issue and he needed to to get his team's opinion of what would happen. Uh, their feelings if, if he took a course of certain course of action uh, he goes to these you know 20 or so players and gets their opinions and if he's still not satisfied with how things would come out you know he, he brings the entire team in but you know these these team leaders position leaders they're you know leadership leaders they're 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 guys that he feels like have the voices in the locker room to kind of self-police and kind of, you know, develop the culture that the program itself is, is gravitating towards. Yeah. And I think the, uh, the, I mean, I don't know if this is even that much of a tradition, but just the, the fourth quarter program and its importance, I guess, and I get strength and conditioning isn't exactly a tradition, but just the way they handle that feels to be something that is very intentional and very well thought out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think tradition, I think things are changing a little bit, you know, and I don't know, maybe this is, under, maybe this is not fair, but from a tradition perspective, not that they don't exist anymore, but I know that was a huge thing, especially for like when I was first growing up in like the nineties, where you had a lot of those things from coaches that differentiated. I think for the most part, it seems like 
there's been kind of a streamlining of how things work. And I'm not saying that removes all traditions, but I do think there's a lot, maybe a little bit more similarity from program to program. And certainly someone like Cristobal, who's come from some really big programs and attached to some really big head coaches, I'm sure he's very much influenced by them. And I'm sure they're, they have a huge coaching. I mean, someone like Nick Saban has a massive coaching tree. And I'm sure a lot of his coaches take a lot from him. And that's not to say that you can't develop your own traditions, your own coaching styles. But um, I don't know. I think that impacts things a little bit as well. I mean, we've heard Cristobal – I mean, I can't count how many times he is, he's referenced. We have the blueprint. You know, we have uh, the ideas. We have the plan of, of how to do this. And he's referencing his time at Alabama. Yep. Yep. I think – I mean, yeah, some of the traditions that – or traditions, quote-unquote, that he brings in undoubtedly have at least or originated in some capacity from his times at Alabama and probably some from his times in his playing career and his early coaching career at Miami. All right. I think that's going to do it for us here on this mailbag on this Wednesday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions uh, to Eric. You can do so either by using the hashtag odds and audibles. You can tweet at him. You can message him on on our message board at, at duckterritory.com. You can post it in the message thread that we've created there as well. So plenty of ways for you to get your questions in on the next one. And again, try to try to shoot for six to eight of these per week. And uh, it's getting easier and easier because we're getting more and more questions now that we're getting closer and closer to college football being back. So Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. Thank you for listening to the Odds and Always podcast. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, fellas.